and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. from the Wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom is radiant and unfading, and she is easily discerned by those who love her, and is found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. One who rises early to seek her will have no difficulty for she will be found sitting at the gate. To fix one's thought on her is perfect understanding, and one who is vigilant on her account will soon be free from care, because she goes about seeking those worthy of her, and she graciously appears to them in their paths. 
meets them in every thought. letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The word of the Lord.
gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the, as the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No. There will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealer and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaid came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Remain standing for a brief prayer. Almighty God, we open our sails into the winds of your spirit. Take us to those places we need to go, for you await us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Maybe see. Whenever I hear that uh, gospel reading read to us, I'm reminded when living in Egypt, we had an American priest over once to speak at the clergy retreat for the Episcopal Diocese of Egypt. And with the exception of myself, all of the priests in the diocese at that time were Egyptian. And this guest American priest, for one of his reflections, selected today's gospel text from which to speak. Now, in most older English translations of the parable in our Gospel reading, the ten bridesmaids are referred to as ten virgins, ten foolish, and ten wives. And in the Arabic Bible, the word virgin is certainly used, and given that sex in any way, shape, or form is never something one talks about publicly in the Middle East, certainly not in a church or a mosque or a monastery for that matter, it actually makes reading this parable out loud somewhat awkward. 
especially among Arab male priests who happen to be on a spiritual retreat in the Coptic, ancient Coptic monastery out in the middle of the Egyptian desert. However, to make matters worse, this American priest, when getting to the challenge part of his sermon, asked us all men, tell me, would you rather be in the light with the wise virgins or out in the dark with the foolish virgins? <laughs> and there was this awkward moment of silence those Egyptian priests embarrassingly looking down and sheepishly looking sideways at each other, and then they all broke out in uncontainable laughter. <laughs> now, in cultures around the world, weddings are generally the biggest of parties. This is all the more so in the Middle East today as it was back in the Middle East when Jesus first told this parable. And in our Gospel reading, Jesus, the master of the, of the short story, tells a parable about ten bridesmaids at a wedding celebration. In Palestine at that time, instead of a newly married couple going away on their honeymoon, they would actually stay in their home village and have a sort of open house for the entire community. And the week following the wedding ceremony was this continual party and feast, and before the actual wedding ceremony, the bridesmaids kept the bride company outside the groom's house until the groom arrived. And they'd bring their lamps or their torches as they waited, as they weren't allowed out in the streets at night without light. And the bridegroom would come, could come at daytime, or he could come at any time. No one knew exactly when he would arrive. Often he was delayed because of protracted negotiations over the financial settlement with the bride's parents. It was an honor, actually, for the bride, and it still is, to have these discussions go on a long time indicating how difficult it is for the family actually to part with their daughter, and, as is often the case, how much they're requiring the groom to pay in the dowry. So the bride and her party knew the bridegroom would be late. However, when the groom approached, the messenger would run ahead and call out, the bridegroom is coming, and it still happens in parts of the West Africa today, where I actually grew up. The bridesmaids would accompany the bride in a procession into the house following the groom and beginning a week-long celebration. Now Jesus' parable here speaks of ten bridesmaids, five that are termed foolish and five wise. Five are called foolish in that they didn't properly prepare for the bridegroom's arrival by not having enough oil in their lamps to the wait. In contrast, the five called wise did prepare having enough oil to take them through the night. And so for the first listeners, they had a cultural point of reference here that made this parable really come alive for them. And they would have immediately gotten Jesus' point. Hence, most Middle Easterners today, especially those of Bedouin tradition, would see it like one of their own stories. Now, throughout the scriptures, the kingdom of God is compared to as a wedding banquet wedding feast, the most joyous part of the wedding celebration. And the bridegroom is typically a symbol for God, used all throughout the Hebrew Bible. And the initial intention of the Gospel writer Matthew here in sharing this parable was obviously for the Jewish people at that time. And throughout his ministry, Jesus told his people that they were invited to the wedding feast, meaning experiencing all that God is through Jesus' teachings, 
And the idea here is that the wise bridesmaids are those prepared to recognize this, and the foolish ones are those who aren't. So this parable actually comes from another place, another culture, certainly another time. And one could ask, then, how could such a strange story about wise and foolish bridesmaids possibly be relevant for us today? Well, while certainly having specific interpretation for that time, it also actually has some major insights for our own spiritual journey, and especially relevant as we begin Advent in three weeks. The primary lesson here of the parable is about the need to live in a state of preparation. Preparedness. The bridesmaids who didn't prepare, foolish. The bridesmaids that did, wise. And preparation, when you think about it, is really a summary of what the spiritual journey is all about. For the life of faith is about continually preparing for the increased coming of God into our lives. The oil in the parable can serve as a reminder of anything that an individual must do in order to prepare for God's coming to us anew and afresh. An inner preparation that makes one attentive to the presence of God. To prepare the way. To make God's coming to us as easy and as smooth as possible, which also entails working to remove every obstacle, obstruction, or hindrance. And perhaps one of the most common obstacles today is simply there not being enough room or space for God in our all-too-crowded and busy lives. Interestingly, while Western culture is often known as one of non-stop activity and work and noise, etc., it is not just in the West. When we lived in Cairo, it's a city of 20 million people. It grows on average by 4,000 people a day. Average Egyptians live in what is considered the noisiest in terms of noise pollution, and most chaotic city in the world. And hence, local urban culture in Egypt, and a lot of places actually in cities around the Middle East, they're obsessed by a need for unending sound to accompany them. It's not uncommon to be in an Egyptian restaurant with music playing on the loudspeakers, several TVs switched to different channels on full volume, Cars honking like crazy outside, people on their cell phones, people yelling at each other at the table just to talk to one another. And there's no question that all the loudness and commotion and intensity and busyness of life can certainly hinder one's connection with the divine. And perhaps this is why Middle Eastern Christianity places such an emphasis on the spiritual gift of the desert that surrounds them. There's that wonderful Arab proverb that says, the further you go into the desert, the closer you come to God. And over the centuries, the church, of course, has developed all kinds of spiritual disciplines that assist us in preparing ourselves for God's increased presence in our lives. Fasting, prayer, reading of the scriptures in different ways, compassionate service, etc., Perhaps the deepest of the spiritual disciplines of preparation for us needed in today's world is quite simply cultivating silence in our lives in order to make room for God. It's foundational for the spiritual life. I recall the profound words of Soren Kierkegaard, that prophetic and somewhat cantankerous Danish philosopher, 
present state of the world and the whole of life is a disease. If I were a doctor and were asked for my advice, I should reply, create silence. Of course, Jesus himself profoundly demonstrated this discipline. Often we're told throughout the Gospels that he went off to a quiet place to be alone. And I think that Middle Eastern Christianity that's been around for almost, well, over 2,000 years now has a tremendous amount to teach us in this area. For example, monasticism was actually born in Egypt in the last years of the 3rd century. Started by St. Antony, the first monk, a cop from Upper Egypt. And ever since then, the desert fathers and mothers withdrew from the cities out to the desert, quite simply to hear the voice of God. And visiting St. Anthony's Monastery in Egypt, and some of you have probably been there, near the Red Sea, it's the oldest monastery in the world, is a powerful experience. It's one of those places where its profound silence has a voice. A voice that by its very nature brings renewal and healing and restoration and freedom. When living in Egypt, our annual clergy retreats were at the 4th century Monastery, Coptic Monastery of St. Bishoy, out in the Wadi Natrun part of the western desert, Egyptian desert. It's actually where Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who wrote The Little Prince, crash-landed, and out of that inspiration is why he wrote The Little Prince. And as you enter the gates of this ancient monastery, there's inscribed on the arch that you pass through the simple but profound words of the 4th century Coptic Egyptian monk in Arabic. Silence is the direction on the pilgrimage to God. Henry Nouwen, the late Catholic author on spirituality, writing about the Egyptian desert fathers, says the place of salvation is called the desert, the place of solitude. Solitude is the furnace of transformation, the place of conversion, and precisely because the contemporary milieu offers us so few spiritual disciplines, we have to develop our own. We have indeed to fashion our own desert where we can withdraw every day and dwell in the gentle, healing presence of our Lord. Khalil Gibran, the early 20th century Lebanese-born poet and mystic, best known here in the West as the author of The Prophet, who I just spoke about in the adult forum, described himself over and over again as going into the silence, intentionally so. He said, only when you drink from the river of silence shall you indeed sing. He named his New York studio the Hermitage. For there's a sense that as soon as we're really alone, we're with God. For silence enables us to hear and certainly experience God. It's the audience chamber. Paul Tournier, the late famous Swiss psychologist from Geneva, a deeply spiritual man, once in an interview was asked about the importance of silence in the spiritual life. He responded, modern people lack silence. They no longer lead their own lives. They are often, all too often dragged along by events. If your life is chock full already, there won't be room for anything else. Even God can't get anything else in. So it becomes essential to cut something out. Coming closer to God requires learning to make room for silence. 
And silence is never the end. It's just a means. And our gospel reading invites us to lean into quietness, to embrace a listening posture, waiting for the still, small voice of God that more often than not comes to us only in a whisper. For silence is a place from which all sorts of new life is birthed, and nothing, nothing is more beautiful than experiencing God's presence in such a way that we realize, oh my, we are in God's arms. And today, that extra oil in the bridesmaids' lamps, enabling the wise bridesmaids to meet and celebrate with the bridegroom when he arrives, can be the oil of silence, where our hearts are prepared and have prepared enough room for God to come to us. And all of this leads to living our gospel parable begins, builds up here to a climax. There's this atmosphere, really, of expectation all throughout this short story because imminent arrival is there. There's this great anticipation on the part of the bridesmaids. They are waiting with great, great expectation for the result of all their preparing is the bridegroom does arrive. And perhaps the greatest need is to continually prepare continually preparing for God's coming to us is to do so with an expectant heart. It's all about arrival preparation. Someone is coming. As Simon Vai, the French Jewish writer and follower of Christ, said, waiting patiently, waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. The whole idea of our reading result of all of our preparation is that God longs to come to us, into our lives afresh over and over and over again. And as the bridesmaids in our reading greeted the arrival of the bridegroom with great joy here in singing, not with tears, not with any fear or any trepidation, it begs the question, what does one expect God's coming to us to be like? Many have a view of God that causes them to somewhat hold God at arm's length, at a distance. Some biblical scholars actually feel that these five foolish bridesmaids were actually not allowed in after they went out to get more oil for their lamps because they went to get more. Instead of simply trusting the bridegroom would let them in regardless of not having their plans. So the question our reading presents to us is not just are we waiting Preparing expectantly for God. Are we waiting for God as God really is? God desires nothing more than coming to us, enabling us to fully participate in God's wedding feast. And this short parable, this gospel reading, is simply an invitation to live in a state of preparation with expectation for God's coming to us anew. This season. In closing, I recently watched one of the most profound films I've seen in years. It's a French film titled Far From Men. It takes place in southern Algeria in 1954, just as the Algerian uprising against the French began. The story is about how the lives of two very different men, a French-Spanish teacher, played by the actor Viggo Mortensen, and a Muslim Algerian accused of murder, how they're thrown together in a world in turmoil. 
And they're forced to flee across the Atlas Mountain. There's a powerful scene towards the end of the film as that Western teacher sends off that Algerian off into the desert for his freedom because he knows that his French people will kill him if they capture him. And as he sends him off into that vast Saharan desert with these beautiful words, very simple words, trust in the Creator, He will be there for you. Give to Him, He will give to you. silence for contemplation and reflection. God eternal, as we open our eyes to receive the light of each day, 
and listen to the voices and sounds around us. Help us resolve to treat each moment as the rarest of gifts, grateful for the ways we experience you and find joy in the work to which you call us. Lord, in your wisdom, hear our prayer. O God eternal, help us not to fear life, but train our hearts and minds to live in grace, to sacrifice our self-centered desires, to find peace without want, and when we fall, to begin again new moment. Lord, in your mercy, O God eternal, grant our president, our governor, and all of our leaders the deep desire for right perspective, so that those ignored and forgotten may be claimed, uplifted, and blessed in all circumstances. Lord, in your knowledge, hear our prayer. O God, eternally, eternal, be with those who are ill, who are suffering in mind, body, and spirit. Humble them before what they do not understand, the incomprehensible forces at work in each life, and grant them the divine healing of the great physician, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your loving kindness, hear our prayer. O God eternal, we praise you for the lives who those have, who have gone before. As you keep them in your everlasting care, inspire us to serve as they have served and give as they have given. Lord, with your works of salvation, God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, thus nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you. Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Stand. May the peace of the Lord be always with you.
Please feel free to go to the font. One of our healing ministers will be there for you. Wherever you are in the spiritual journey, whatever that may be, know that you are always welcome to come forward to receive the body and blood of Christ, to take in the blood and the wine, to hold us, to sustain us as we go, grow more into that person God has called us to be. So walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
been a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, 
with 